This is a Podcast 225 production. Welcome to the Clay Young Show. Got a real busy one for you today. Dr. Albert Samuels of Southern University and John Cuvion, noted pollster and political analyst and strategist, are going to be here for the first part of the show to talk about the president's address to the nation last evening as he spoke to both houses of Congress. He laid out his agenda for the nation. It's kind of a to-do list that is accompanied by an explanation of each item and there is some soaring rhetoric and, of course, some of, the, some of the standard things we see in these kinds of speeches. If you're a Democrat, you did not like what, much of what you heard. If you're a Republican, you loved most of what you heard. And Dr. Samuels and John Cuvion will give their perspective. I've already recorded the conversation with them as I record this open. I did it uh, a little while ago. And uh, Dr. Samuel was over the phone and John was here in studio with us. And it was interesting. <laughs> Albert, uh, Albert was pretty rough on him. He, and he gives his honest thoughts about why he feels that way. And uh, John was not as rough and he gives his thoughts. And that's the one thing that I enjoy about here is I like hearing what people think. And I like them being able to have a chance to tell you what they think. Uh, much like the mayor in Baton Rouge I think the president of the United States deserves an opportunity to launch his agenda and then let's see what happens. I think a grade this early in the game is really not that fair. Opinions about the job that's being done so far from a performance standpoint or a confidence standpoint is one thing, but grading the job in Trump's case less than 40 days in is, uh, is not really valuable. And we'll get a chance to talk a little bit about the mayor and what's happening here. And in fact, I've got something very special that we will be doing that's never been done before as far as I can recollect. And we'll, we will be announcing it within the next 10 days. And I think you guys are going to enjoy it a lot. So we'll keep this open short, long conversation about the Democrats and the Republicans and the speech by the president. And I mean, it's a good conversation. And you'll hear it. Dr. Albert Samuels and John Cuvion are my guests. And then we will talk with Jacques Doucet of WAFB-TV about sports in 2017. The 2017 athlete, which is a very, very frustrating athlete. Talk a little bit about the nature of sports in Baton Rouge. Get his thoughts on the TV business now, as he's one of the bright stars in television here for a while and has been for a long time. He'll be in studio, so lots to cover, and we'll get started with it directly after this. Promote your business or organization on Podcast225.com. Podcast225.com is quickly becoming a weekly tradition for Louisiana listeners. Every month, thousands hear the weekly Clay Young Show. Every week, Clay sits with some of the state's most fascinating and entertaining people. Posting your company's logo on the podcast225.com website or having a professionally produced commercial air on The Clay Young Show is a great way to access a loyal and informed audience. Get more information by calling 225-214-1550. That's 225-214-1550. This is Jeff LaDuff, retired chief of police for the city of Baton Rouge. I'm Kelly LaDuff, co-owner of Open Eyes Safety Training and Consulting. Open Eyes is focused on providing quality safety solutions that give businesses and employees the skill set needed to recognize and react to dangerous situations. On a daily basis, we hear yet another story of workplace violence or active shooter. 
Open Eyes offers a unique approach to keeping you and your businesses safe through site analysis, technology recommendations, policy review, and employee training. To set up a consultation for your business, call us today at 225-313-9713 or visit us at our website at openeyesafetytraining.com. We say keep open eyes because 10% of our population cause 90% of our problems. See them before they see you. Welcome back to The Clay Young Show. Back with John Cuvion and Dr. Albert Samuels. John Cuvion, the owner of JMC. He is one of the preeminent pollsters, political analysts, and strategists in town. Dr. Albert Samuels is a professor of political science at Southern University. And gentlemen, last evening, the president addressed Congress. It was not a State of the Union address because it was his first speech after getting elected and inaugurated. It's called a joint session of of Congress. And it was very interesting. I have not asked each of you what you thought about it because I wanted to get it on the record. And so... um, I'll start with you this time. I think we started with uh, with Doc last time. John, I'll start with you. Your broad strokes impression of the president's speech last evening. It was good, and I'll give you two words which will lead into an analogy. Okay. Lady Gaga. <laughs> Lady Gaga. Oh, this has got to be good. Let me let me explain. So <laughs> what, what I'm specifically referring to when I'm saying Lady Gaga is this. Right before her Super Bowl halftime performance yeah i think there was a sense of dread because she was dropping broad hints about how she was going to make some kind of a political statement or there were concerns that perhaps she might wear the meat dress or (laughs) stuff like that so there was this kind of feeling of dread as to what she was going to do because given the fact that you have a lot of super bowl halftime shows that in the past have been disastrous you know there's kind of like that oh boy what are we going to get from her yeah then she turned in a very solid performance yeah. that I thought was I thought was very good. It she was inoffensive. Yeah. So basically what happened was she far exceeded the expectations and or concerns that people may have had about putting her on a halftime show. Because so, the bar was so low. Yes. Now <clears throat> along comes Donald Trump and let me let me say this because Donald Trump is one of those people who very few people have any kind of neutral emotions about so I'm going to try to skirt the middle line here and offend everybody. <laughs> that's what I that's will worked s- for me for 21 yeah. years. <laughs> what, what I will say, again, following along the Lady Gaga uh, analogy, is this. Given the performance and the optics of the Trump administration, starting with January 20th yeah. and going until last night, yeah. it was two different Donald Trumps that I've seen. In other words, there's one way that the administration has performed up to yesterday, and I thought the speech yesterday, last night rather, was excellent because it was, from a content standpoint, a recitation of all the talking points that he's had over the last year. He's been remarkably consistent there. But what I found, though, was that the overall impression conveyed was very, very positive. He wasn't bombastic. He was, I thought, presidential in tone. And I thought the Karen Owens was a very, very good thing from an optical standpoint. So yeah. that's the in, in detailed explanation how I saw this is kind of like another version of Lady Gaga is that given that people have an expectation of him now from his performance thus far – relative to the speech he turned in last night. It was yeah. two totally different things. That's well done on the analogy because you're right. Everybody expected a dumpster fire last evening, and that's that's not, I guess, what most people think they got. 
Doc, what do you think about it? What was your impression of the president's speech last evening? <laughs> well, actually, uh, he, he took a lot of my good points there. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I guess that's the last time I go first. <laughs> the president, I mean... I mean, uh, like, given how this president has been born, not since, not since January 20th, but really since November the 8th, uh, I mean, I mean, he has historic, he had historically low, uh, poll ratings in the honeymoon period, in the transition period, uh, numbers that we haven't seen. And I think, you know, we could probably say that this has probably been, if not, the most incompetent, uh, error-filled month in the first administration of any president we've seen in a long time, at least. Uh, the bar was so low, I think they actually threw the bar away. <laughs> and so, if, so if the president comes out after the last month, or really since the way he behaved since November the 8th, and he was somewhat saying it was a good night for him. Uh, he actually looked like a, a real, for uh, many ways, a traditional Republican president in many ways. Uh, so in that sense, from the uh, optics standpoint, in terms of the message standpoint, you know, that's a, a good thing for the president. Uh, of course, the key thing going forward is that, you know, given that this is Donald Trump, the question is, how long can he stay with that script? Is this uh, Donald Trump pressing the reset button? Or is this Donald Trump, you know, conforming to the expectations of this particular speech? And then in a, uh, later today or sometime tomorrow or next week, you know, he'll go up on Twitter and behave like the Donald Trump that we've come to know. That's what we don't know. So after having seen the speech yesterday and and both of you basically giving a passing grade based upon tone and the way he approached the laundry list of items, because this typically is what a president does in this particular speech, is they lay out their agenda in a more conversational tone and they get the opportunity to do it without soundbite to say, Hey, here is where I want to go. Here is how I hope to get there. The question I have for you is about the division in politics. Now, now I always caution people when they say it's, it's so divided. Now it's always been divided. Politically speaking, you can go back to the days of Lincoln. I love reading about Lincoln and and it was very divided then. Maybe it's more so now because of social media. How does any, elected Democrat or Republican in this climate put motion to an agenda to uh, to to accomplish it. And so I'll start with you on this one, Dr. Samuels. How does how does Donald Trump? Let's take all of the sideshow stuff and, and say it's not there in this fractured political environment. How do you reach consensus to give life to an agenda? Well, actually, uh, the president has and al- and already missed an opportunity to some degree. And now it's, it's not, obviously it's not too late. It's so early in the administration. But but one thing that some people thought that he would do, you know, on coming around right the gate, was to to go for some 
go for some wins in some area in an area like infrastructure spending, where you already have Democrats have been saying that, that this is something that we want to do, want to do that you know he could have he could have picked uh, an issue like that uh, first out of the gate to kind of get some points on the scoreboard, uh, but. Instead, he has continued to play to his base. Uh, he now some of this is Donald Trump saying that, "Look, this is who I am. This is what I ran on, and I intend to do the things that I said." However, those things were very divisive. And, and keep in mind, uh, Donald Trump won the election because of the electoral college. Almost three million people, more people, voted for the other candidate, uh, and thus, for, it's, it's Donald Trump is the one, quite frankly, who needs to take the first step in trying to reach out to reach out to some of those Americans who didn't vote for him. And up to this point, he has not done that. All right, John. Uh, same question about being able to to get an agenda moving and. In response to what Doc said. Yes, and there's two parts to this, and I'm actually going to back up to the previous statement that Dr. Samuels had said, and he was referring to going off script. One of the things I think has to happen, and then this is going to segue into your division question, this idea of competing power centers in the White House is a disaster. Yeah. This idea that you can have mm-hmm. Kellyanne Conway doing her freelancing and Steve Bannon doing his freelancing right. and Sean Span- Spicer doing his freelancing – to me, I know Donald Trump likes having competing power centers, from, but from the standpoint of a perceived competence of an administration, that, and something that you could appreciate as a PR person, yeah. that is disastrous having these multiple voices that are saying seemingly contradictory things. Right. Now, having said that, I'm going to get into the division part. Can, can I say something before you sure. go to that? Sure. As I think that this is one of those areas where business practices aren't applicable to politics because in business when Mm -hmm. you are a ceo and you have department heads that serve under you Mm -hmm. this is actually a useful tool to be able to decide who is the most viable number two under you say you've got four department heads but uh, department head one is stronger than four and so i can trust them to sit in my chair and not only make top level decisions but still do their job but in politics if the message over here and the message over there are not in concert it then becomes an issue let me give you my perspective on that i do agree with you but as as always i'm gonna i'm gonna twist it sure when you're talking about internal corporate discussion before you make any kind of external communications like to the shareholders to the media etc etc yeah that kind of healthy debate you're talking about is absolutely necessary for a functioning company sure however once you get into a White House setting, the amount of internal shrinks to almost nothing. In other words, if you have people now obsessing over how Kelly and Conway was sitting on a sofa yesterday, yeah. there's very little privacy. So what that means is that while there is debate, I think at some point 
once the time comes to communicate the White House message, mm-hmm. you absolutely have to have Bannon and Conway and Spicer speaking from the same page of music. And that's what I mean. It's yeah. like if, if you've got someone who's over HR, someone who's over R&D, someone who's over spending and all of these different departments, there is a main sheet of music that they're singing from, but they're singing separate verses. Right. When, when Spicer goes to the lectern to talk about the agenda or the position of the presidency, if he says the president's position is A and Kellyanne, Kellyanne is saying C and Bannon is saying F and disaster. Th- that's a disaster. And so I think that's one of those places where applying a business principle is just one of those things that he doesn't know because this is the first office the man has ever run for. Right. And it happens to be the highest in the land. But let's let's move but ahead he, because yeah. I, I don't want to stay. Well, it's actually, right. actually, actually worse than that because it's, it's not just that you have different members of the president's uh, team saying different things. The president himself has said different things that keep people on his team. You know, you have a situation yes. where the, the vice president of the United States is, is speaking to NATO leaders and reporters are saying, well, you're saying something different than the president is saying. Right. Do we trust you or do we trust the president? Uh, the, the defense secretary has to tell the Iraqis that, no, we're not here to take your oil. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So the president himself is the problem. You know, a lot, a lot of times, you know, people want to blame the staff a lot of times. And sometimes the staff has, has something to blame. But a lot of times the problem starts with the president. And I, and I think, again, if the, you're right, if, the, if he is, and he is because he's, the, he's got the job and the title, the, the buck stops with what he says. So everything he says, pardon the pun here, trumps what's said by people who serve under him because they're always going to say, well, the president's position by virtue of what we have either heard him say or we have read him tweet is this, and you're saying this, which, which is it do we choose? Now, having, having said all of that, I do think, gentlemen, that there is there should be some allowance made for growing pains and on the job training for this, because being president Mm -hmm. is a whole lot harder than running president and running for president. And we see that every time. Right. It is. And that's what happened to Bill Clinton back in 1993. It's what happened to Barack Obama in 2009. Now, with regards to what you think should be happening with, you know, the divisions. Yeah. The first and foremost thing I think that is required here is a little bit of humility humility from team Trump. Yeah. In other words, they need to if I were them, I would put a big a big a poster on the wall that says 46%. Yeah. Because the fundamental reality is not only did Donald Trump get 3 million votes less than Hillary Clinton did, actually I put two numbers, 46% and 77,000. 46% represents the share of the popular vote he got. Yeah. 77,000 is the approximate number of votes in three that, critical swing states. That led to the electoral number that Correct. he got. Yeah. So in other words, he's really skating on thin electoral ice. Now, George W. Bush was in a similar situation well, in 2000. Yeah. Yeah. However, one of the things that George W. Bush did in the kind of the transition period that Donald Trump and team did not was he went on the so-called charm offensive. Yeah. In other words, George W. Bush made it a point to reach out to the Democratic leadership. Sure. And so what I think is happening is, in my opinion, a false sense of security, because right now that the Republicans have a majority in both houses of Congress. Yeah. And 
this thought that we could do whatever we want. Well, you know, 52 It never senators, works that way. Right. It never, it never does. Nor do I think is it a good idea to think that just because I have a wide margin with regards to those senators coming up for re-election in 2018, yeah. bad idea. So what I think should be happening, number one, as I mentioned before, humility. Number two, I do think that he needs to start reaching out. Specifically, I would start with the easy ones like the Joe Manchins and the Heidi Heitkamps, yeah. which are Democrats who are in states that Donald Trump carried by substantial margin. I think also you ought to reach out to more mild-mannered Democrats of, say, the Steny Hoyer and yeah. of the uh, Dick Durbin variety. Yeah. And so the idea is you're building relationships. Now, you notice one person I did not mention, and that is Chuck Schumer. He's already, uh, he, I mean, he's making his position on this known. I've seen a couple of interviews, one last evening and then one this morning. Right. And he is in no mood uh, to to work with the president. In fact, Senator Schumer has said that the speech was great, but the actions don't mirror what has been in the speech. It's the same thing I heard him say last evening. Right. And Chuck Schumer, to me, is basically pay, playing the role of a bitter partisan, which I think is a big mistake right now, because whatever people may think of Donald Trump, yeah. they still expect a certain degree of cooperation between sure. the president and Congress. But what Donald Trump ought to do is realize that on a transactional basis, he may be able to get some of these Democrats on certain issues. On certain issues. Because a prime example of not doing that, in my opinion, is the narrow margins by which a lot of Trump's nominees got confirmed. Right. And ironically, had it not been for Harry Reid changing the rules, those nominees would have all been filibustered and yeah. you would only have a couple of people in the cabinet right now. Right. So like I said, humility, building coalitions, and... Going for easy hits. I would certainly agree with what Dr. Samuel said with regards to the infrastructure package. I would throw another one on there that I don't think would excite as many people, and that is getting into trade deals. Yeah. In other words, not going all the way into straight protectionism and trade wars and retaliatory practices and mm -hmm. such, but starting to be more cognizant of are we getting the best trade deal negotiated. That, to me, is something where... Donald Trump can get some wins, particularly if you're talking about Rust Belt Democrats. Yeah. Well, gentlemen, one of the things that I think Democrats should should see as a cautionary tale is what ended up happening to Republicans early on when they just threw up roadblocks without reason when President Obama was first elected. And it ended up leading to them being embarrassed at every turn because there were roadblocks without a separate option. And, the, and, and then there was nitpicking on things that I thought happened to be silly over the last eight years. I think people have a right to agree with or disagree with any elected that they choose to. That's the part about being an American. But some of the conversations have gotten so silly that you just turn them off. And I think you're right. I think Democrats, in order to stem the tide of what Republicans have been doing need some wins to happen that they have been a part of. So they share ownership of victories that have come out of uh, out of the work with the White House. And then they can go back and say, we were able to get this done and he couldn't have done this without us. And that bolsters their effort to take back some seats in the House. Do you yeah. do you both agree with that that uh, philosophy? Generally, well, okay. you know, you go ahead, doctor. Well, the Republicans, uh, for, actually, for the Republicans, obstruction actually works pretty well for them, at least in the short run. Well, on the back um, end, on the back end, it ultimately did. But if you if you remember, the Tea Party movement sprang up 
organically away from Republicans. Republicans then co-opted it, and then it, in effect, died. It became a PR mantra more than what it ended up being. Republicans gained some seats because Tea Party candidates, there, there was this separate block of Republicans who didn't identify with either traditional side, and they just supported a bunch of candidates. That's how we ended up with Ted Cruz. But uh, I guess what I'm saying is, in the short run now, Democrats, if they want to get more seats in the House, are going to have to have some wins. Is that fair or am I missing something there? One thing that's interesting when you're talking about wins, there's the legislative front and then there is going to be what I would call the PR front. So imagine if you're a Democrat right now, you're thinking, okay, this guy, you know, James Comey put him into office. He didn't win the popular vote. He's not a legitimate president in my view. Uh One of the things that I think is going to test that resolve is that Democrats are desperately trying to find any kind of race to show that people are rejecting Donald Trump. The race I'm specifically interested in is the 6th Congressional District race in Georgia, the the, the one that uh, Dr. Tom Price has vacated and actually was held by Newt Gingrich years ago. That's right. So the reason... What was And so, of course, most people are going to say, what does Kuvion care about a congressional race in the affluent suburbs of Atlanta? Well, this is a heavily Republican affluent district right. that is very cosmopolitan yep. and moved heavily away from Donald Trump last year. In other mm-hmm. words, a district that routinely once went two and three to one Republican, Donald Trump carried by a point. Yeah. So now the Democrats are licking their chops thinking if we could win. In other words, you have this apparent symptom going on, which is white collar affluent voters moving away from the Republicans, which, by the way, happened here in East Baton Rouge and Jefferson. That's exactly right. But getting back to mm-hmm. the, the point of this demonstration of strength, the Democrats have an appetite for winning this race if they do i think that would be bad for the republicans because it would be an affirmation in their mind that trump is weak however if let's say the republicans hold on to that seat by a substantial margin Mm -hmm. nothing changes political parties attitudes than wins or losses right and so that's the other half of the equation is besides legislative victories if these special elections that are about to happen this spring all go donald trump's way I think the Democrats will realize, well, maybe we better batten down the hatches right now. Right. What's your response to that, Doc? And actually, you know, that's actually the flip side of some of the things that happened in 2009 and 2010 was that, uh, you know, Republicans did win some of those elections like that, you know, mm-hmm. you know, like, for example, Scott Brown, for yeah, example, yeah. winning that seat in Massachusetts, that right. was a really upset, you know, he's upset something like that. And that was a, uh, that was a foreshadowing of, of what was going to happen later that year. Uh, so yes, these little, these little off year elections, off year elections, you know, uh, 2009, Chris Christie, Chris Christie ended up being governor of New Jersey. That's yes. right. Uh, the Democrats, you know, you know, Republicans scored scored another 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 off year election there. So yes, this is that those those were early shows of strength that said the Republican Party is not dead, and that was uh, an indication of what was going to happen in two thousand ten. And I think the the lesson that could be learned from this is that while the Republicans were winning these races in unfavorable territories such as in Massachusetts yeah. and in New Jersey. The Democrats doubled down on the same policies that were steadily costing them popularity, and boy, did they pay for it in 2010. Likewise, this year, you have 
not only the potential of this congressional race, there's also been the disquieting behavior going on during town halls. I'm not so quick to dismiss it as a bunch of outsiders swarming in and protesting. Mm -hmm. The way I look at protest is there's always a little bit of truth in there. Absolutely. In other words, <laughs> yeah. I think an argument could be made that the Republicans need to get it right on whatever they want to do with Obamacare, yeah. or they're going to pay heavily. Because the thing is, regardless of what party you are, if you have the fear of losing coverage and yeah. you're needing these expensive treatments, yeah. you know, that's kind of scary stuff. They have not. And, and the, the biggest, one of the biggest misses for me has been the absence of an articulated separate option to the Affordable mm -hmm. Care Act. And I think that if you are honest, there are issues with the way that the Affordable Care Act is structured, some things that can be changed. Yes. But the fundamental premise of it is now something that people are used to and they're using it. And to take it away is not only something that's going to affect Democrats, it's going to affect a lot of Republicans, too. Sure. And this is when you have to use logic and intellect in deciding how a policy should change and not just emotion. Because, you know, there are a lot of Republicans who are using this program who are who are on it and who may not be speaking up, but they're not going to be happy if it goes away. And so this is why you hear Paul Ryan now starting to talk more about another option and creating another option. Man, I think they, you're right. They got to get this right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And right. And not only that, not only that the, the clock is the clock is ticking on this. Yeah. Because yes. keep in mind, a lot of these, these insurance companies, uh, they only have maybe until about May to make decisions about whether or not they're going to be in the marketplace. Right. And already just the talk of repeal, repeal, you know, is, is spooking the markets. Yeah. Uh, and so the, the so the, you know the, the Republicans had this uh, heady idea in the beginning. This will be this will be easy. We can just we, we can just re re repeal it. Uh, we'll replace it later. And and they're running into the headlong reality that that's just simply not a viable option. No. When this was being debated in 2009, 2010, the Republicans made a, a calculated decision that we're not going to play ball. And so they they didn't bother to delve into the weeds of the, uh, the weeds of this issue. Now they are like, you know, the dog that caught the bus in many ways. Uh, Trump is saying the issue is complicated. Who would have known? I said, well, actually, President Obama said that for two years in 2009, 2010. Well, and, 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 <laughs> and I, I want to go in to say this, that I think that. I think Republicans should have should have by now had at least the beginning phases of another option. Yes. And I also think the Democrats have a responsibility to see the things that don't work and admit that there are things that don't work and that can be approved, improved. And that's how we can kind of reach at least some middle ground that works not only for the American people, but for the businesses that are paying the price from this as well. Is that fair, John? Yeah, and one thing I think that would be very tricky, too, uh, there, there's two points. One is going back to what Dr. Samuels was saying, is that, you know, when you're talking about what you want to do with Obamacare in the abstract, you have to remember in the real world, the insurance industry is making plans with regards to how to price their product, That's what right. their benefits package need to be, this and that. This is not the kind of thing that you could slam in two days in advance. Right. In other words, they're most likely already starting the discussions on what they want their 2018 insurance offerings to be. Yeah. So in other words, I think it's a big mistake to put a timetable 
on repealing Obamacare, but from a political perspective, you can't let this thing fester for three years. Yeah. And so, you know, what I think has to happen, though, it almost seems like both sides have kind of dug in. And we're, because you're talking about the Democrats, this was a very hard fought victory. They're very reluctant to admit any kind of you know, support for anything that's called repeal, yeah. whereas Republicans are dug in on their corner and they don't want to admit that it's not going to be scrapped. So it's like, you okay, can't guys, scrap it. Let's just play word <laughs> right. games here right. and just call it Trump care. Well, and and, and but, that, that, you know. that's just kind of the that's kind of the thing. And again, it's one of my frustrations with politics is that it's the art of doing nothing but being really busy at doing nothing. And and that's kind of where we are right now <laughs> on, on the on the case of immigration, gentlemen. I must say that I am disappointed with the level of rhetoric on both sides. My personal opinion is that people should come here legally and it is a complicated issue and it isn't one that you can only address with bromides and and soundbite lines. But I do believe that we have an immigration issue that we have been talking about since the early 80s when Reagan took a stab at it that opened up some of the amnesty that we have since seen in the subsequent 30 some odd years. I do think we need to do something about what's happening with immigration. And I don't know that we can because the parties could not be further apart. And the thing is, you're talking about another complex issue. And I think what happened with the travel ban, Muslim ban, whatever term you want to use, to me was very illustrative of what happened when you have a policy that gets rushed into place without consultation with the stakeholders. You have a big disaster, which is what happened. So... You know, what has to happen is it's almost like you have to have the adults in the room here and quit using this emotional language that suggests that somehow there's all these immigrants that are going to swarm the country and they're going to vote 100 percent Democratic. My idea is and I'm actually going to quote a late congressman on this one. He once said, what's there to talk about? It's illegal. In other words, I think we need to recognize that there are laws and either we're serious about enforcing them or we're not. But to get into these silly games about, you know, panic about, you know, immigrants swarming America or conversely kicking people out who and and foreign tourists being scared to come into America because they don't know if they're going to be stuck at the airport. Yeah. There's got to be some kind of solid guidelines, and that's where this, to me, is a six- to nine-month project. I I agree, and gentlemen, I think there's silliness on both sides. I I don't like some of the broad—I don't like the the tone by some that every immigrant is a criminal or a thug or a drug dealer or whatever. I don't believe that. I do believe people ought to come here legally. I also have a problem with people saying, well, they've come here and they've not broken any laws— and they've contributed, and it's like, okay, if you take that line of thinking and advance it forward, it could be problematic in so many areas. So it's, it's, it's been weak on both sides to me, and, and I would love to see them address it. And it's just frustrating because, God, they're throwing bombs at each other, but what do you do to actually fix the problem? Kids born here are legal citizens, right. even if their parents are not. And so you know, I'll give you a chance yeah. to respond, Doc. We threw a lot out there. Well, you you know, uh, this issue is really not as complicated, I think, as people pretend it is. It's complicated because people don't want to do anything about it. That's what makes it complicated. Uh, Not complicated. But here's here's, here's the fact. The, The immigration system we have doesn't 
conform with the actual demand of people who actually come to the country. In other words, the, the quotas themselves are outdated. The system, the system itself uh, is still reflective of a time when most of, our, most of the people who were coming to the country were coming into countries from Europe. Yep, it's very antiquated. Now, I got somebody who share, I got somebody who works for me who's yeah. going through it right now, Doc, and it's a pain. I hear about it almost on a daily basis. Right, right. You know, and so and so and so. Really, that's what that's what the and and really that's what the and that's what the real problem is. And so um, and so, unfortunately, I think some I think with a lot of the resistance to fixing the problem, I think to fixing the problem is that. A, a lot of the people, and this is quite frankly, this is this is part of what's coming from from the the no amnesty crowd and and the Tea Party crowd is that they don't is that they don't like the face of the people who they see coming. Well, but but do you think what, but that, do you think that's fair though? I I don't know that I want to point put paint everybody with that brush to say that people are against it because they just don't like anyone. Mexicans. I don't think you can paint everyone with that brush, but. But 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 I, I I think there's no doubt about in people's mind that this is a dog whistle. This is a dog whistle. Which it, it, I know that's why you hear some of the nasty rhetoric about immigrants, it, it, immigrants, immigrants. You know about immigrants being criminals. You know Donald Trump started his campaign. You know, you know they're rapists. You know that you know they're murderers. He knew exactly now, what but, he was. But, but here's the thing. To. Now, in all fairness, in, in all fairness, doing. in all fairness, he said you know, some of what them. He, was doing. he said some of them, and that and and there are people who buy into that but he said some of them and he also talked about wanting people to be able to come into the country legally well yes he does but 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 where is most of his focus where is most of his focus you know what i mean i mean if you, i mean this is one this again this is one of the first this is one of the first this is one of the first policies out the gate you know, you know, demagoguing about Syrian, doing about Syrian, Syrian refugees. You know, claiming, I mean, notice, notice, notice that of all the countries that he picked in a travel ban, not a single terrorist attack has has has, has affected the United States from someone from in those countries. There are a lot. There are other countries, quite frankly, where where some of their national have attacked the United States, who are not on the travel ban list. Well, this is true. Saudi Arabia, this, this Egypt, is, well, Pakistan, Af- Afghanistan what? is not even on the list. And and and, but you know, I, I actually heard, I actually heard this, and you guys are going to both be surprised at this. Alex Jones sat down with uh, Minister Louis Farrakhan, and did you know that Minister Farrakhan actually agrees with this travel restriction that President Trump wants to employ? It's a fascinating interview, and I don't want to just snippet it because he he gave a long reason as to why he has come to that conclusion. And I I would encourage people to go look into the interview. You can read the transcript of it or you can watch it as it as it happened. And he talks about why that is. And so, you know, I I think we can get into I do want to get into some of this policy stuff with you guys uh, when we've got more time to just do that, I, I want to throw two more questions out because we gotta we gotta wrap up because I got Jock Duce coming in here. Um, <laughs> give give me give me your, I guess after the fact thoughts about some of what he said, and your one big takeaway 
because you kind of talked about your impression of the speech, but I don't think either one of you gave your overall takeaway. What was your one big takeaway and then any other observations about the night as a whole? And I'll start, uh, I'll start this time with you, Doc. Well, um, to some degree, there's always a degree of, in, in, a, in a speech like that, you know, there's only so much detail in terms of policies that a president is going to get into in that, in that kind of a setting. You know, this is, you know, this is not a conference, if you will, as a conference, you will. But I think one of the things that has been striking is that, striking is that, you know, we are five weeks into this presidency yeah. and they're, they're, I mean, they have actually, there have been actually no legislation proposed from, from, from this White House. You know, they've been governing by executive order. Executive order, and so he made a, he, so he made a lot of promises. He made he made a lot of you know, a lot of promises. Uh, he, he recited a whole lot of things that he said in the campaign, but they but he basically has offered us pretty much no legislation right. that will get us that you know that that, that will actually get us there. Uh, and some of the things that he that that, that they're at least talking about in their budget actually go against the very things he said he wants to do. Like, for example, he, he, he talked about cures for great diseases, and then at the same time, they're proposing slashing federal funding for research in those areas. I mean, it's like, he, he, like he, he's not connected to the policies, that, you know, policies themselves here. Uh, the, now, the closest thing he came to talking about policy was when he laid out some principles that he thinks ought to be in an Obamacare uh, repeal, replace effort. You know, he in that way he sounded a whole lot like Paul Ryan. Uh, but at the same time, by saying that he, but he also doesn't seem to be connected to the fact that what he, well, what, what Paul Ryan is talking about, doesn't have the votes right now within the Republican caucus. Yeah. So that's so he talked he talked a whole lot about some nice things he wants to do. He gave us very little idea practically how we get to where he wants us to go. <laughs> All right, John, your response? Sure. So what my thought is is this, now that we're talking about the actual content of the speech as opposed to the overall optics, sure, sure. Feel, fuzzy feel goods that from a content perspective, to be honest with you, nothing particularly surprising or exciting what the content of his speech to me was a consistent affirmation of everything he said in all his prior speeches so from that standpoint i didn't find anything especially you know shocking or newsworthy but you know one thing i'm gonna go way 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 out on left field here the one thing that did catch my attention about something he's wanting to do and this is getting back into the optics so just as to me he's been striking the almost exactly wrong note with regards to how he relates to Mexicans and Muslims, I'm finding that he is making a calculated play to get black votes. And let me explain some kind of visual things that I've been noticing that are leading me towards that conclusion. And this is one of those things that as the speech was going on, you know, I was furiously. Yeah, yeah. So First, last year, and again, I'm, I'm purely speaking optics. Sure. Last year, you'll notice that he did have black spokespersons for his campaign. Like he had Diamond and Silk, he had Omarosa, 
and he had black, so he had black surrogates. But a couple things that I'm noticing that he's doing, which to me are an, an optical kind of, I guess, you know, intent to try to peel away black voters from the Democrats. You know, he made a big deal about the, the HBCU meeting. Yeah. That, that to me was a very good visual, despite the fact that the media got distracted with how Kellyanne was sitting on the couch. Uh, also, he made spe- specific mentions of Black History Month. Yeah. And uh, when he was talking about Jameel Shaw, in other words, I kind of, anytime a president starts invoking people sitting in a gallery, yeah. you know, there's always some kind of a political angle to it. But I, like I said, I just noticed that he's kind of in a not so subtle way trying to reach out to blacks with regards to, you know, just kind of things that he's paying attention to and so forth. So that was the thing that caught my attention most last night about his speech was that particular factor. What did he what about what he said about all of the businesses? He listed a number of corporations that have decided to reinvest uh, into America, as he put it, and create tens of thousands of jobs. I think that was a good that was a good one, too. Now, the ultimate soundbite, which I think he scored a home run on, was the Karen Owens moment. Yeah. That to me is the kind of thing. Well, but that was more about her. It was. And her loss than him. Yeah, but it's one of those things, though, that you're going to get the indirect halo benefit from it, even though you're right, it was a case of, you know, a grieving widow. Yeah. The fact that it went on for a couple minutes and those extended two minutes. Applause, yeah. I think it was something that made him look good in the speech. Well, I look, it's. it's that is great. We, we, we I actually disagree. You you disagree? Go ahead. Why uh, why do you disagree? I actually disagree. In fact, in some in some ways actually it was actually probably it, just just in my mind, uh that was actually probably one of the worst parts of the speech. Really? Tell you, this is why I'm telling you why. Because you know, this I understand what this because I understand what this president has done. This president ordered the raid again, without going through the proper process, without going through the proper vetting process, basically over a dinner, over, 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 over a dinner, and then when it didn't go as planned, then he blamed the Obama administration for it, said this was already in the plans for the Obama administration, and then earlier that same day on Fox and Friends, he basically said, well, the generals lost this guy. You know, in other words, this is, no, no, Mr. President, you are the commander in chief. This is not somebody else's fault. You know, it, it is one of the most solemn responsibilities of the president to send people into action. And they did it haphazardly. And he wasn't even in the situation room when it's happened, when it, when it's happened. And then he, but, but then he uses her as a prop after doing all that. To me, that was despicable. Well, I, I will tell you this. I, I here's where I where I agree and disagree. I think ultimately the the buck stops with the commander in chief. I couldn't agree with you more. That when you make the decision to send men and women into harm's way, whatever happens outcome wise is a direct result of you deciding to either pull the trigger, pardon the pun, or pass on the opportunity. but And, and to me, that isn't political. I felt the same way about Benghazi, and, and that became political, and it's like, no. And, and so, but, but where I disagree is I don't, 
I think people in that room were honoring that lady because of her loss. That's how I saw it, that people were applauding her and sympathy for her in that moment. I don't really think that was about the president at all. That's just one person's yeah. opinion. Obviously, we can we can disagree. Yeah, well, this, on that. this is this is a and this is actually a good you know kind of pair of perspectives here. I, sure. <clears throat> you know, with with regards to what Dr. Samuels is saying, let me also say this: is that a lot of what I'm talking about, I'm specifically referring to kind of the end user effect. In other words, mm -hmm. how is the person watching TV or reading the paper the next day yeah. going to react to this? Now, with regards to the tragedy and the specific items that, that Dr. Samuels is referring to, that that incident to me has really not gotten a lot of coverage and explanation. Yeah. It's kind of slipped under the radar. However, when you're talking about the end result, which was, you know, the the adulation that the widow received and the extended time on TV, that from an optical and not a content perspective was a win for the president. Well, and, and the three of us are way down in the weeds on all, all yeah. this stuff and everybody else is sitting up in the right. terrace. And so, you know, when we talk about this, we're, and I guess that's one of the reasons people enjoy listening to this because the perspective based upon involvement and experience with us talking about it is so much more different than the public who a lot of the things that we notice and we see th something changes, uh, changing on the public, I mean, they don't care and they may not see it for a week. And let me give you another example kind of to illustrate uh, you know, what Dr. Samuels is saying when you're talking about content versus how it's received. Sure. Going back in time to 2012 to Mitt Romney's 47% remark. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The thing was, what he said, oh, if you truly were to read the whole statement, was clumsy but unobjectionable. His problem is the way he said it was what got reported and broadcast, and that made him look like Thurston Howell III. Right. Yeah. That that whole line by first of all, you got people you got people in the room with cameras, and I think you're right. Maybe it was a clumsy attempt at something, but it was no doubt clumsy. Gentlemen, I you know, we I guess we'll give it about three months because we're still so early into the into the game. He hasn't officially been the president yet, uh, or for, for that long, really just over a month. Uh, I would like to give a few weeks to see what happens agenda-wise and, and do this again. I could listen to you guys talk about this stuff all day, and I appreciate y'all making the time to come on the show. Thank you, Doc. I appreciate it, man. No problem. All right. Thank you, John. It's been a pleasure. All right. Back with Jock Ducey in just a moment. This is Dr. Mary Catherine Rodrigue, and I'm Katie Fetzer. We're the owners and co-founders of The Wellness Studio, a mental health practice with locations here in Baton Rouge and Covington. We are also your hosts for The Waiting Room Podcast here on podcast225.com. Our podcast is a journey into the world of mental health. On our show, we're going to discuss some of the various forms of mental health conditions. We're also going to shed light on the various ways our listeners can get a better understanding of how the mind works and why we do what we do. So subscribe today to get The Waiting Room podcast here on podcast225.com, iTunes, and the Talk 107.3 mobile app. This is the Clay Young Show on podcast225.com. Back with Jacques Doucet of WAFB TV here in Baton Rouge and Jacques is one of the sports anchors at AFB, and he's very involved in the community here. He does a softball game every year. Uh, it's a it's a local celebrity softball uh, game, and you raise money for different charities every year, right? That's right, Colleen. I think we should get you in the game this year. Oh. You just triggered something in my, in my brain there by, <laughs> by mentioning okay. that. But, uh, yeah, we do a... Um, 
I call it the celebrity, sort of celebrity softball game. Local people that you know. Right, right. Because sometimes when you call something a celebrity game, then some people, he's not a celebrity. Or what are you talking? Maybe you're bragging on people. So anyway, it's just, I came up with the idea kind of from the MTV when they used to do the rock and jock softball and everything and get people out there. So, you know, I've been fortunate enough to be at WAFB uh, 16 years in March here. So I've had a chance to cover really the golden era of Louisiana sports and, and, and try to get as many guys together that I've covered and women, uh, guys and girls over the years, uh, men's and women's sports to come out and play in this game and invite people to come out. And, and we give the money to charity. Um, I, I chose local military way back when. Uh, my good friend Taylor Begno had served in the Army, said, mm-hmm. why don't we do this? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and we have, and we've given the Blue Star Moms was one that we latched on to right away that we felt like they did uh, really good work and have continued to do really good work. And we Janet Broussard. Janet Broussard. Janet, she's, a, she's a rock star. Delightful she, lady. All those ladies are. They really are. And, uh, you know, and... and and they're the ones that are really, you know, emotionally attached. You know that whatever they're doing, their heart's in the right place because they have sons that are overseas, and sometimes they don't know where they are. They don't get a chance to talk to them because of, you know, security reasons and, um, you know, giving up secrets and whatnot. So yeah, uh, and so we give to them, and um, and that's been great. We've given to support our war heroes. We try to keep all the money local, yeah. uh, people that I can see and shake a hand with, and everything. So uh, that's one bit. That's one part. One part of it. We do that at the end of June, and uh, we do a big softball kickball tournament, which really is our biggest kickball. Wait a minute, How, you did kickball too? <laughs> it's not for third graders. No, anymore. that's right. That's right. That somebody did tell me that that they're like kickball leagues yeah. popping up around nowadays it's uh i think it's really popular uh it gets um restaurants and companies involved oh, and sure and, and and maybe you know some some girls or even some guys are afraid i don't get hit by the softball yeah so it's safer yeah, yeah. you know and well it's softball i mean you, you got a lot less to worry about with the softball but yeah kickball is is safer and it's funny you say that because I do remember somebody saying to me some time ago they were going to a kickball game or there was a tournament <laughs> or something. Uh, you know, you've you've been in television here for 16 years, as you've mentioned. How long have you done it? Is it? it I interned, and I, I say interned at TV 10 in Lafayette, KLFY, the CBS station. Yeah, they yeah. really let me. I mean, I was not getting coffee. I mean, I was taking a camera and going out and shooting stuff. And, and every now and then, like once a week, they would air. They let me put together a story, and, I, and they would air it. And so best did, internships. Those are the best. Yeah, that's what I tell students. Yeah. You know, if you're not hurting for money. Right. Take jobs yep. or take internships yep. where you're going to learn. No question. Get your hands on. Don't worry about it. I'm not getting paid. Well, who cares? No. <laughs> you know, so if if you don't need money, you know, if you're not hurting. Yeah. Do internships. No doubt about it. I mean, and, and you learn about deadlines and you just learn about TV. I mean, when I went in and I had no idea what TV was about, I was like, okay, I'll, I'll show up and I'll read a few things at six. Yeah. Then I'll go get a bite to eat and I'll read a few things at 10 and I'll be over with. What a great gig. Well, that's not exactly the no. way it works. No. You know, I didn't know that, oh, the, the local sports guy grabs the big camera himself and goes out and shoots the three hour baseball game. Right. <laughs> and comes back and edits in himself and, and does all these things. So, and deadlines and learn how to work on a deadline, the, the, uh, under deadline, those things you learn with an internship. Did you go to UL? I went to USL. USL. Yeah, <laughs> still, yeah. Uh, yeah. U- University of Southwest. And they changed the name. I was not crazy. I didn't know why. ULM they, now, right? Uh, no, U- it's not ULM. You were right. U- ULL. ULL. That's right. It's it's, so, it's ULL are, now. ULM used to be something. That's in Monroe. It used to be Northeast. something else. Northeast. Okay. So yeah. coming out, and what part of, uh, of, of the West Side are you from? 
I grew up uh, in a little town called Milton, Louisiana, which is just south of Lafayette. Yeah. And my parents now live in Maurice, which is yeah. just like three miles away yeah. from that across the yeah. river. Home of the world-famous City Bar and A-Bear's Meat Market. <laughs> but uh, And some world-famous jockeys as well, Kent DeZarmo and some other people yeah. from around there. But, yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's 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 where I'm from. I went to a high school called North Vermilion High School, and um, and I didn't play much in basketball. And I'd sit on the bench and I'd do play by play of the game right in front of me. And they say, "Jacques, shut up!" And I'd be like, "Well, I'm not playing, so I'm just going to do play by play." And and it's like, "Well, you, you were destined to to get into sports casting of some kind." So you know what what's what's your favorite aspect of doing it? Uh, I think there's nothing like a cool fall October day being on an SEC campus and uh, watching a stadium fill up, yeah. hearing a band play, yep. and then watching an SEC game on a, on a fall day. Th- that's really pretty spectacular. And, you know, the Saints were never going to win a Super Bowl, much less play in one. Sure. And that, that happened. I was so lucky that that happened right in front of me in Miami. Yep. So, the, and, and just meeting people, you know, I, I think a lot of sportscasters end up being sportscasters because they weren't good enough to play <laughs> or, yeah. or play at that level. And you kind of you're always surrounded by people you admire. Yeah. You know, people that are always I, I, people are always like, we, we thought you were a lot smaller than what you are. And I'm not a big guy, but I'm always surrounded by people that make me look like a shrimp, you know. Right. So. Uh, right. So, yeah, it's it, it's Steve Schneider, even my boss. He's six five. You know, yeah. people think I'm like yeah. five five or something. Yeah, right. But uh, but yeah, you just get a chance to, to I mean, LSU and Southern and these universities that so many special people have gone to school there. Well, you think about it, man. And you, you said something that's when you take a step back, it's profound the 16 years you've been on the air have been the golden era of sports in Louisiana and in Baton Rouge. You think about LSU has not only won a national championship, but won two and been to three. Yeah. The saints have won a super bowl and have been a really national attraction in what they've done, even though they haven't been great record wise, the offense has been a world beating offense. Yeah. You know, Southern is starting to come back under Dawson right. and what he's doing there. And then you've got coach Orgeron here and LSU, of course, the baseball team is already it's annually. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it seems like it's, it's always in the hunt. Right. LSU basketball, not so much. And, uh, <laughs> I, did, I did go to the final four in 2006. Well, and, the, was and there was, ride. which, which was an amazing team of overachievers talent wise. They were there, but yeah. what they were able to, who saw that coming? We, we were ready for them to flame out in the first or second round. And Daryl Mitchell hit a <laughs> incredible shot to beat Texas A&M in the second round. But yeah, that was a special story because all the kids were local. Yeah. And, and then who would have thought too, that, okay, if you take a look at that team, who's going to have the longest NBA career, Garrett Temple, really? Right. right. And it looks like he will have the longest NBA career right. of all those guys. So, uh, but yeah, but yeah, to your point, um, you know, three national championships LSU played for. When I started at WAP, they hadn't won one in 50 years. Right. And, uh, and for them all to be in New Orleans, are you kidding? Um, you know, and Skip Bertman had a famous line. He goes, uh, he goes, there's a, there's a famous saying, you know, to all my friends, I wish one national championship. And to all my enemies, I wish two. Because once you win two, it's over. They want one every year. They want you to win. So, uh, so that's As you're not- pantomiming the, the Bertman there. There's a buddy of mine, uh, Brian Bennett, who played for him. And he just he can't wait to break out his Skip Bertman impersonation. And so, yeah, uh, so. One of the things I wanted to ask you about, and we'll circle back around to, to basketball here with LSU, but first up, 2017, the 2017 athlete. I don't think ever before in the history of pro sports 
have we seen the one man corporation exist the way that it does now from nutritionist to financial person to image consultant. Yeah. I mean, all of the things that go on with a pro athlete now, it seems like if you're a coach, unless your last name is Belichick or Riley or something like that, you have a hard job ahead of you. What about that? Well, I think social media obviously has changed everything. Um, I think that there's pressure on these guys to be cool and to put it out there and to put it on Twitter and and to be accepted. And uh, it, it's a bad thing. We've all fallen into it where we've gotten emotional and, we, you know, we, we tweet something that maybe we, we shouldn't have tweeted or, or, yeah. or we say something. Yeah. And, you know, when we were growing up, it was the letter. You know, you sat right. down, you wrote a letter. Right. And your mom said, hang on to that for a day or two before you send it. Now right. it's, you know, 10, 15 seconds later. But, yeah, to your point, um, I, I think that the athletes coming up now are more knowledgeable than ever about money and what they can make and what path they need to take. And it is a year-round thing with yep. camps and yep. with, um, you know, like you said, uh, image uh, consulting. Um, you're going to say this. You shouldn't say that. Right. Certainly, you know, Leonard Fournette was an A-plus top to bottom right. on everything. He, and I'm not taking anything away from him. I think he's a great guy in what he did. Yeah. But really, I mean, he came in knowing what to say, he was how ready. to say it. Yeah. And I met him last year. I got a chance to address the team. And it's something Hiller was doing, and I was invited, and I got a chance to meet him. And I was impressed at how much he was one of the guys. Because mm -hmm. I'd never met him, didn't know what to expect. And they were giving him grief you know, just kind of the way athletes do, and he didn't seem to be bothered by it very much. And I don't know if that's the trend or if that's how he always is or if that was a good day, but he just seemed like a good kid. And, uh, and was, I've, yeah. I've not heard the same thing about Ben Simmons. <laughs> I was going to say, <laughs> it was kind of a divide there Holy between. cow. You know, it was kind of like, and, and all these national people were like, Leonard, sit out. You know, you don't need to play this year. Or should Leonard Fournette sit out? And yeah. it was like this national discussion. And ESPN is pretty much the devil. Yeah, well, yeah, they got they're on the air now, twenty four hours. You know, when I was growing up, ESPN would show like NFL films That's and stuff. Right. Now they That's talk, they talk all day, all talk, talk, day talk. long. So, so now they got to talk. They got to talk about something. Okay, what should we talk about? Why don't we say this? And, and then, and who the hell is Levar Ball? And this is why I don't watch <laughs> this stuff all day long because I turn it on in the morning and they're talking about the father of some college kids and he made a comment and I'm thinking. Dude, their dad's all over the country who would probably say the same thing. If Junior was able to go over here, he'd be yeah. better than LeBron James or whatever, you know? Right, right. Yeah, it's, um, you know, I, 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 I covered them both. I thought Ben Simmons interviewed well. I don't think yeah. there was ever a point last year where he said something like, you know, this sucks. I, I wish no, I could. He handled he, himself He well. was pretty. But then when this, this HBO documentary came out, which I haven't watched, but I saw the preview clip yeah. of it, and I'd seen enough at that point. Yeah. So, you know, it's funny, we, when, it, when it was going on, we kind of joked back then, you know, Ben Simmons, you know, what if he gets Johnny Jones fired, you know? And the way things have panned out, Ben Simmons had sent Coach Jones' career in a different no direction question. at LSU. So. I think Johnny Jones is a good man, but I don't think he's long for that job. I think uh, we're sitting here at the first day of March. Yeah. I think in a week or so there's going to be a change. I, I would definitely see that. Uh, you know, going back to the athlete, and you've had a chance in 16 years to see some young folks here come through, play college ball here, and then go on to the pros. You've even seen some of them win championships playing for teams. I mean, Glenn Davis won mm -hmm. a championship in the NBA with uh, Boston. 
Uh, we've seen a few Tigers win with the Patriots, I believe. I think we've had a few Tigers win championships over the last few years on different teams. Yeah. What's so much different about them now in the last, say, five, six years than in your first few years covering them? You know, it's funny. I remember even somebody like Lolo Jones, like, I don't want to say being a nobody, but, you know, the LSU track and field team, for yeah. better or worse, does not get the attention that it should right. from people like me and, and, and some others for what they've accomplished over the years. But I remember her just, you know, practicing down the street. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, whatever years later, she's a national phenomenon, yep. a model, yep. uh, a personality, yeah, uh, all yeah. these different things. And I was like, I, you know, and so you see that happen, uh, you know, Simone Augustus. Uh, has yeah. not only been a, a WNBA champion, she's been an Olympian, an Olympian several yeah. times over. Yeah. And so uh, you see that. Seems like a good kid, too. Yeah. Simone. I mean, yeah, I, yeah. I met her when she was still at Capitol, I believe. And I don't, uh, I, I was volunteering with something I was doing with kids, and her father had her there and just met her. She seemed very polite. I mean, I haven't obviously been yeah. around her in years, but she stayed out of trouble for the most part, yeah, right? Yeah, she stayed out of trouble. She's, she's, boldly taking some stands on some social issues yeah well you know I give I give people I give people latitude for that I wasn't enthused about the stuff with the flag this year I'll be honest with you I think people want to stand for the flag but that's just me talking Uh, but a lot of the other stuff socially what people do in their houses I don't care right yeah I I, well I see a saying the other day at 20 years old we worried about every everything people said about us at 40 years old we didn't care about what people said about us and at 60 years old we realized that nobody cared about us anyway (laughs) you know something like that that's exactly right nobody was thinking about us anyway so but uh, so you're doing what you do every day take us through the day when you're when you're yeah, kind of shooting it. You, you alluded to it earlier, having to shoot some of the events and edit them and put the package together for any young industrious student who's thinking, I want to be a sportscaster one day. Yeah. What, what's in for him? Well, I, I think that you, you need to have a, a passion for doing it. For me, it's always been a job that I never looked at my watch and said, what time am I getting out of here? Right. You know, I mean, I, I tell people all the time, you know, uh, twist my arm. I have to go cover the Saints today. Or, <laughs> you know, I got to go cover an LSU game. Right. But the, the, the truth is, by the time you're done covering an LSU game or a Saints game, it's a, it's a 14-hour day or something like that. Mm-hmm. You know? So it's very time-consuming, but it's very fun. It's exciting. Uh, the young people that get involved, uh, you'll probably have to pick up a camera. You have to, you know, not only pick up, you know, you, you're not shooting a, a frat party. You're not just pointing the camera. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's some skill involved with following a football sure. through the air sure. and, and, and doing all those things. And then... You know, you, you need to be able to sit down and to, and to type a script and to type a lead in and to be creative with your writing and be able to edit. I mean, you need to know to, to do different things. And it's, the scary thing is, Clay, is that now you're hearing about top 10 markets where there's still one-man bands. There's right. still reporters in these right. big markets right. that are taking their own camera out every day, shooting their own stuff, putting the tripod, putting the camera on the tripod, flipping the little lens around to see themselves so they can shoot their stand-up. And so that's kind of scary because, yeah. you know, Local television is becoming, uh, it's becoming more and more of a fight uh-huh. because of 24-hour news cycles and all these different things. From our perspective, what we try to do is to try to show people things that they can't see on ESPN. You know, Sportsline Friday Night, our high school show that we do on Friday, I think is is the ultimate testament to that. 20 years, how long now? It's been over, uh, 1990 was the first year. So we're, we're, we're over 25 years yeah. at this point. Yeah. Steve Schneider was here. He, he, he'd let you know <laughs> right away. Hey. I think we just did our 27th year. Yeah. So it's a big deal. I mean, and that show is a big deal. And now high school kids can get on national 
sports because of you know the way it's covered now. But for the longest time, kids got got around to television to see if their game made it. If they saw that AFB truck out, or if they saw you or Steve, right. it's like, man, did we make it on the television? And uh, and and that's always been a big deal. You know, Clay, I was uh, uh, I barely played on my high school basketball team my senior year. The camera TV ten just so happened to send a camera to the game. I was in the game early. The coach was starting me because it was early in the year, and the football players hadn't quite all come back yet. Okay, some ball bounced into my hand. I was underneath the goal. I made a layup, made a shot. I got home, watched the local news that night, and and Jacques Doucet puts it back up in for two. Okay, and so <laughs> and it's. It's you still have, if, do you still have that highlight? I, I probably have a VHS tape somewhere with that on it. You know, one of the few buckets I made that year. But I never forgot it. Nope. And that's the deal. You show a high school kid on TV yep. scoring a touch, they'll never forget it. Yep. And, and that's the important thing about the high school shows. And You can't show, you can't, where, where are you going to get two and a half, three minutes of Santa Mall playing East Ascension or Brewery right. playing Port Allen right. or these rivalries. Right. So that's, right. that's what makes it special. So for people who are wondering, what's the wildest thing you've ever seen watching a game something some of the wow moments you've had over the years where you're going and and, and try mm-hmm. to give me something that isn't no not the bluegrass thing not you know yeah. not Garrett Hartley uh, <laughs> you know it's not you know, something you've seen that Ooh. probably flew under the radar like I'll give you an example one time CBS is covering LSU when Odell was still here and going to break uh, on a, I don't know, I guess it was a kickoff. He's in the back of the end zone, and they're, you know, Vern is talking about something, but the camera catches him, and where he just goes up, and that's the first time I saw him just pull the ball out of the air like it was the size of a lemon. With one hand. And then they went to break on it, and I was thinking, what the hell? <laughs> and so that was just one of those things, that, and they didn't even come back and talk about it. It just kind of went went by the wayside. Something like that. Whew. Uh, man, I wish I would have thought about that. No, uh, prep for this before. Um, <laughs> golly, you know, um, let me round back to that. You know, okay. a cra- crazy thing in a game yeah. or, or, or something like that. Yeah. I mean, I wish I would have covered Chris Jackson when he was here. Oh, my gosh. I wish I would have, you know, I wish I could have seen Pistol Pete play a game. Yeah, absolutely. You know, things like that. Uh you know, Leonard Fournette's game this past year against Ole Miss was freakish. You Unbelievable. Know, it, it was like he had been he'd been sitting out for, you know, a few games and he gets in and it's like it's like every time he touches the ball he goes seventy yards, you know. And that, that with was an no, incredible and running by cornerbacks. <laughs> like walking them down and then blowing them out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Unbelievable. Yeah. I mean he only ran I say only, he ran for like nine hundred yards this year and like three hundred was in that one game against <laughs> Ole Miss, but uh you know, that was, a, that was an incredible... Um, well, let me ask this. Greatest athlete you've ever seen with your own two eyes? College and pro. Oh, gosh. Um, greatest athlete. You know, I've got my favorites. Um, you know, certainly I, I, I love Kevin Falk and Devery Henderson, the guys from my area that, oh, man. that were part of such special things, yeah. both at LSU and in the... Falk is the most decorated football player in LSU history in terms of terms of going on to the pros. He got three rings with yeah, the Patriots. Yeah, he, he won three, and he was on two other teams. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, you know, it's funny. When he met Bill Belichick, he said, uh, Coach, I'm, I'm an every down back. And Bill Belichick said, no, you're not. <laughs> and he said, I'm the leading rusher in the history of LSU football. What are you talking about? He said, no, you're not an every down back. You're a third down back. We're going to make you a third down back. You're going to do that, and you're going to do it well. And Falk was ticked off. But he looked back on it and he said, you know what? If I would have been an every down back, uh, I was not big enough. Three or yeah. four years, I would have been like a tire that got shredded. I would have been done. Right. 
third down back. I played. I played thirteen years. I won three Super Bowls. Coach yep. knew what he was talking about. Right. You know, and so. he does. And he's got the balls to tell you to your face too. Uh, no doubt. Belichick, no doubt. Yeah. Alex Bregman was a freak. Like when yeah. he showed up, we heard about this kid. He he stays out like until they turn the lights off. Like box taking ground balls. He won't leave. He's just like. And I think, uh, you know, and Drew Brees is, is the same way. Uh, the, the ones that are, that are just amazing are weird. They're weird people. It's like, Drew, you talk to Drew Brees a little bit, like, hey, the guy's a little, little different, you know? And, and that's what... Different how? Just... Spacey? Sometimes, yeah. I mean, I, I'm, not, I'm not criticizing sure. Drew Brees, believe me. But, but genius is often different because they often spend so much time alone. Yeah, people and, with genius ability—they're almost always working on their craft away from people. I mean, if you saw somebody, and Drew does this, like standing by himself on a football field, just in his shorts and his uh, shirt, and then pretending like he's taking a snap, and then dropping back and looking around, and then pretending to throw a pass. But what, what's wrong with you? You know, but that's what he does. I mean, he 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 literally plays a game in, in his head, in his head, an imaginary yeah. game. And well, so, you know, the thing with even with Michael Jordan, you hear how he would just invent rivalries. He would piss himself off. Right. Just so he could be motivated so he wouldn't take anything for granted. And in practice, if the guys didn't hate him, he started fights Mm -hmm. just to keep that competitive thing going. But genius is different. And Drew Brees is, in my opinion, the best Saints player to have ever worn that jersey. Yeah. Nobody's close. Yeah, he's going to. He's, he's going made, to the Hall of Fame already. He doesn't made, have to do anything yeah, else. Yeah, he's made such a difference. Uh, I remember, you know, recently the Will Smith trial, he shows up and there's like some guy heckling Drew Brees in the street who was obviously not on the side of Will Smith. Right. Saying, he's, he's like, you've been making money off the city for years, Drew. And I'm like, I think that you think you got that reversed. Yeah, really, I mean, right. how much money did the city of New Orleans over the years financially through ticket sales? Right. Because Little Drew thing Brees called was, the Super Bowl championship, <laughs> right. too. So. Right, because Drew Brees was the quarterback. Right. So. And, and I had a chance to cover Nick Saban, who will probably go down as the greatest coach in the history of – of college football, probably like, yeah, like it or not, yeah, well, yeah, yes, I guess. What I else guess, does he have to do? Uh, you know, <laughs> it, it, it's funny. It's like you know, because because Clemson catches a pass, you know, yeah. no time. Oh, the game has passed him by. You know, he's not going to win another championship. You know what I said after that game, JD? I said, <laughs> in his own sick mind, he's probably pleased that they lost because now he gets to spend the whole off season being angry, Absolutely. and that's his reason. He's going to be angry anyway, but now he's got this as his reason. Clay, uh, I've said it for years. He's in a much worse mood when they're winning than when they're when they no doubt when they ever lose. They don't lose ever hardly, but when they do lose, when they're winning, he is so petrified right. of people getting in his team's ear and telling them how great they are and right. getting full of themselves. Right, and he just hits the ceiling when anybody <laughs> implies that they've arrived or they're good <laughs> right. or you know whatever. And right, so, right. You know, he talked about that bluegrass miracle all the time. You know, he was pissed off after the game because they didn't play well. They didn't play well at all. Right. And then the next week, Alabama comes in and beats them 31 to nothing. And uh, I think he called it the bluegrass miracle effect or something. When you right. get full of yourself when, right. you, when you shouldn't and you get your, your head kicked in. But So, so. Where, do you, uh, where do you see yourself, uh, you know, in the next 10 years? I know that you enjoy what you're doing here. I know that you're involved in the community. And Baton Rouge has, has become home in so many ways. But in 10 years, do you want to be here? Something national? I mean, what's your yeah, plan? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, y- your parents get older and stuff, and, and they're, they're an hour down the road. And I never really thought about, you know, moving on to a bigger market just to say that I, you know, was in a bigger market. You know, I, I think one of the, the things that I pitched at WAP when I applied for the job and, and, and when I was at, I'd grown up, I'd lived my whole life in Louisiana. I was 
invested in LSU and the Saints. And I honestly didn't know much, a whole lot about Southern. But then I learned, yeah. to, you know, the second I went out and met this baseball coach, oh, Josh, hey, this is Coach Kedor. How are you today? You know, and so you made all you made, <laughs> you meet all these amazing people, too, you know. Hey, that's yeah. the accent that he had to teach himself not to have coming over here from the West Side. You know, I know. So he's one of the most unique individuals, oh, one of the God. greatest guys. He just is. He's, he's, he's huge when you meet him. You don't you don't realize how big of a guy he is. And he's just a big old teddy bear, man. This one, the only coach at, uh, I guess, a major school that I can call on his cell phone during a game and he will answer. It. It's like. Coach, what's the score? Jock, we winning six to four in the fifth. Thank you, Coach. You know, like before the internet and the games were on the radio, and I, well, I don't know what the score is. You know, so I'd call him. But uh, but yeah, I, I see myself sticking around. And uh, you know, Steve Schneider has been an amazing boss to work with. And uh, Steve's a, a good guy, a, a great guy who who works hard, who doesn't have a drop of I'm doing this because I want to be on TV and I want people to recognize me. Right. I mean, he. He gets upset after a sportscast if, you know, we got like 20 pages of stuff to get on. If we don't get to page 19 and 20, I mean, he literally feels bad that those kids didn't make it on the air or we didn't get to that story. And so that's what it's all about. He loves the science. Yeah. 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 He's he's not about 30 second lead ins where his face is on camera for 30 seconds or or whatnot. And that's the that that's kind of a problem now i'm I'm starting to sound old because i heard the same thing when i came (laughs) in you know don't be a prima donna (laughs) don't you know it's not about you it's about the story so but yeah i see myself sticking around at wafb maybe one day i am the sports director when steve has had enough but that's i don't think that's anytime soon and so we'll just well after he's punched greg and they fired him for it then you'll be able to go (laughs) and do the job (laughs) greg Merriweather. (laughs) that's right yeah maybe so or produce that cuts his time one day that's right that's right (laughs) Well, listen, man, uh, the softball game is coming up in June. We'll get you back to talk about it uh, again. And uh, where are you on social media if people want to follow you? Um, At Jacques Doucet on Twitter. And if you want to to know more about Red Rock and Blue, you go to redrockandblue.com. We're we're always looking to add new uh, sponsors and whatnot. If you want to come aboard, tax write-off, great calls. We get back to local military men and women. And we've uh, donated a lot of money. I, 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 we're going to do some catching up. I look at some of the checks in this room here today. It's like, wow, I talk about motivation. I had to kick myself in the butt. So, Well, and you got to sign the door there above where Condon came in. You know, you can't let him go anywhere, man. Look at that. He just, you know, he can't help himself. Oh, J.D., I got a T-shirt that says police on it, okay? <laughs> that's like exactly, a, that's this. him. <laughs> well, Jock, I, I, I appreciate it, brother. You got to come Thanks. back. I appreciate it. Anytime, Clay. This is great. All right. Jacques Doucet, WAFB-TV. Back to wrap up in just a minute. Podcasts have become a great way to get radio on demand. If you've wanted your own podcast, the time to call us is now. This year, Podcast 225 will be launching new shows and yours can be one of them. You won't have to build your own website and you'll be able to use professional broadcast equipment that will make your show sound amazing. If you'd like to know more, call 225-214-1550. That's 225-214-1550. Be a part of the on-demand audio movement today. Welcome back to The Clay Young Show. So there you have it. Great conversation with Jacques Doucet with WAFB-TV. And before that, the brains, the political brains, John Cuvion and Dr. Albert Samuels, our guest here on The Clay Young Show. Man, we covered a lot today. And again, I'd love to hear your thoughts on what you thought, thought about the analysis of 
Doc and John Cuvion. You can email me, clay at podcast225.com. That's clay at podcast225.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at clayyoungbr or on Facebook. That's Facebook backslash clayyoung. And we appreciate all of the comments that we get from you guys every week. We're working to give you a chance to hear discussion agreement, disagreement, debate, all of those great things in a way that is just about the issue and not about name calling and all of that other foolishness that's so permeating media all around us. But I won't jump on a soapbox about that. The show's been long enough today. So with that, you guys have a great one and we'll catch you next time here on The Clay Young Show. See ya. Thanks for listening. Join us next week for another edition of The Clay Young Show. 